Hello and welcome to Podcast. This is Lane. This is Meg. And today we're reviewing Fall, Duke, and Dangerous by Megan Franzen. This is the second book in the Hazards of Duke series. And we did review the first one um, back in August, I think. And this was published in 2020, so about a year ago. Yeah, this was in 2020. And we will be reviewing the third in the series soon and actually the fourth in the series as well. So very She's too fighting. prolific. Three books in 14 months. No, thank you. I know. I don't know how people... I, I do not know how romance authors do it, but I don't understand how they have books out every six to eight months. I don't get it. So to get us back on track, let's start with the book jacket. He needs a bride. Nash, the dangerous Duke of Malvern, has always bristled against the rules of English society. Hot-tempered and fearful of becoming like his brutish late father, he lives a life of too much responsibility and too little joy. And although he's vowed to never marry, a Duke has a duty, and there's only one way to get himself an heir and a spare. So Nash reluctantly takes a look around at society's available young ladies to see who might be willing to put up with his one-word answers and frequent flowers. She longs for love. After the death of her father and wicked stepmother, Anna Maria goes from virtual servant to lady in training. And while society life has its benefits, gorgeous gowns, its restrictive rules stifle her spirit. And when her independent actions put her in danger, her half-brother insists Nash teach her some self-defense. While most of London's ladies find Nash intimidating, she only sees a man who needs introducing to all the joys life has to offer. So although officially they are coming together for fighting lessons, unofficially their physical contact begins to blur the line between friendship and begins to grow into something more. What do you think? Uh, I mean, very inaccurate. <laughs> In a very important, one very important way. Two very important ways, I'd argue. Okay. So, I just want to put, like, one, it's very important to the plot that Nash is not being put up to any of this by her brother or her cousin. That this exactly. is entirely about what's between them. But second of all, I think the fighting lessons are a cute trope, and I'm not saying they don't happen, but they are not the impetus of anything. In yeah. the way that I think this book is trying, like the jacket tries to make it seem. Yeah. The book is cleverer than this jacket leaves it out to be. It is. So it's, it is. it's spiritually wrong. It's factually wrong. And I don't think this jacket does the book's concept justice. I don't, I don't think so either because I really, I really liked the book a lot and I don't think the jacket gets it across. I, I think this book had a lot going for it, and I agree, the things I like are not well represented here. Yeah. But luckily for you listeners, we do have a Gentleman Jackson's Get Fit Workout. This one is for the reluctant Duke. Yeah, so um, I guess he boxes, but yeah. not at Gentleman Jackson. Very clear. No, no. Let's be very clear about this. He boxes at home with his valet. And then he also, you know, meets out a little bit of vigilante justice now and then. Yeah, so basically, 
he his family is known for their violent temper mm -hmm. and he wasn't spared that gene he likes boxing he likes using his fists he likes breaking stuff mm -hmm. but he makes a point on the nights he's spoiling for a fight to find some guy misbehaving and teach him a lesson Right. He's like, I want to hit someone, but I want to hit someone who deserves to be hit. <laughs> right? It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> I mean, it's, it, it's a little simplistic, but I like it, though. Me too. I thought it was really adorable. And I, I think this temper trope is something we've seen a lot. Yeah. I don't know how viable it is, but I don't think that matters here. No. So before we discuss further, we do have a special feature for you. We do? Well, it's just our normal special feature. <laughs> we generated a random number. And then we wrote summaries based on that number. <laughs> And for this episode, the number was 10. I'll go first. BFF's sister is all grown up and knows what she wants. I like it. Slow clap for you. That was Thank you. very good. One. I wrote one without reading your summary and then wrote something so disturbingly similar. I started over. So Meg, what's your 10 word summary? So my summary is, Nash needs to marry, but not the woman he loves. So my original 10-word summary, I obviously love yours because I initially wrote the same thing, uh, was that Anna Maria was at the top of everyone's list for Nash's bride, except Nash's. Of course. I don't remember the exact way I got it to 10 words, but that was my original sentiment. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's, the, that's one of the tropes. It's a pretty big trope in, in historical romance which is that for some reason, this guy's got to marry, but he doesn't want to marry someone that he loves. Now, the reason why he doesn't want to marry someone that he loves could vary. Anthony Bridgerton. Anthony Love Bridgerton. Bridgerton. Lives. All this of the sisters. Yeah. You know, it's, it's huge. It's huge. Um, but in, in this case, Nash, so basically Nash has been raised by an abusive parent. And he does not want to hurt anyone. And he feels like if he loves someone, then his emotions will be engaged and he's more likely to react emotionally. And for him, that means his temper will be sparked, basically. Yeah, combined with a bride he loves slash likes will be around more. Like his yeah. goal is just set up a lady up in the country impregnate her and then bail so she never actually has to be a part of his daily life like even if they're not in love he's not just afraid of not like having the passion of love influence his temper like he doesn't even want it to be somebody he wants to be around yeah yeah he it we'll get into it when it when we talk about the book in in detail but i again it's a little simplistic it's a short book but i i think his character is believable so yeah, I think it veers more into the he doesn't think he deserves love and doesn't want to subject someone he likes to being with him for eternity. And then the temper issue is a secondary layer. Yeah. 
But I would so not, I don't think that's the main trope here. I would say, what's the other big trope? I mean, I think the biggest trope here is childhood friends to lovers slash best friend sister. Yes. Interestingly enough, he, she is his best friend's older sister, not mm -hmm. younger sister, which is a, a slight change. I, the entire time, I still don't know whether she's older than him or not. I think they're the same age. I think they're very close in age. If she because is I, older, it's like a year at most. Well, because I think in the first book, it mentions she's two years older than her brother. Mm -hmm. And in this book, Nash mentions he's two years older than her brother. Well, then there you go. So like, I'm not sure of the specifics and I'm not sure of like where their birthdays are or whatever, but I got the impression they're roughly the same age. Yeah. I thought it was very interesting because I was trying to pin it down as I was reading and Megan Frampton does a very good job of not, not highlighting how old they are. Um, she, I do know that you see how old Anna Maria is, but I don't think she ever comes out and says how old um, Nash is. Are you, I think Nash, the only thing that she definitively says in this book is he is two years older than Sebastian. Than Sebastian. Um, and if so, if you remember how old Sebastian is from the first book and his age gap with Anna Maria, then they're the same age. Yeah, but it's so anyway, just interesting. Uh, I, I thought it was interesting because she, that a lot of times, again, it, well, in all romance novels, but especially historical romance, there's always an emphasis on how old the lady is. Is she on the shelf? Is she? a debutante, you know, right. and then there's always a focus on the age gap, whether it's a small age gap, whether it's not an age gap. Anyway, I, I did think it was interesting that their ages were present, but you kind of had to figure it out, you know? Yeah. Anyway. It wasn't the focus, her like meeting, and one of the things I like the most about this book, and we're really jumping ahead with this, but she really doesn't have to marry no nope. one is pressuring her to there is no ticking clock on her money there is no ticking clock on her life there is no emphasis on the biological clock like she really will marry for love or not at all yeah all right another trope um they both are they're both sad tragic orphans and they both had abusive childhoods he's got a living parent but that living parent abandoned him to save herself Correct. And then and, everyone else is super dead. Yeah. And you may remember that Anna Maria had the Cinderella upbringing. Her stepmother, who was also her aunt, basically banished her to the attic and she worked with the servants. The only difference with Cinderella is that her dad was alive for most mm -hmm. of her stepmother abusing the hell out of her. Yeah. Yep. Which I had a problem with. Oh, absolutely. They both had shitty-ass fathers, for sure. His might have been the actively abusive parent, whereas her stepmother was her actively abusive parent, but, like, no one was good to them. No, no, so. Um, he has an unacceptable heir. So the big <laughs> push to get him to marry comes on behalf of his marriage-minded grandmother who is determined to push him into heir production because the cousin who stands to inherit is just like his father. Yes. Yeah. 
So he's got the, the evil cousin who will inherit unless he manages to produce an heir. That was an interesting choice to never have that cousin appear on the page. Yeah. He's a specter, but not an actual character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I guess it cuts down on the page per day you have to write. <laughs> okay. One of my favorite parts in this book is that Nash refers to what Lane lovingly calls a waltz in a garden fondle. He calls them terrace shenanigans. And I, I was I was obsessed. I loved it. I like that he like would say it out loud. I, I, I really thought all of that was just adorable. And the fact that the first terrace shenanigans between them did happen after a waltz made me so happy. Yeah, and he's like, what, terrorist shenanigans again? And she's like, yes. <laughs> I mean, it's just great. I, I don't know if we're going to replace Waltz and Garden Frontal with terrorist shenanigans, but... I think it depends. Um, if the word terrorist is mentioned, it's terrorist shenanigans. I really like terrorist shenanigans. <laughs> it's so good. Uh, he is the abused child who responds to learning of all of his father's philandering. By hiring all of his father's bastards. Yeah. Usually uh, that is accompanied by a, and so I will have no children. Right. I really liked the choice she made about his view of family. Mm-hmm. I think it, it was not the stereotypical choice, and I really enjoyed it. I I also thought it was interesting that... Basically, his his only employee who's not related to him is his valet, and that is the only person that he will box with, spar with. That's not one of his bastard half brothers. No, it's not. I, I know. I was like, yeah, it's the only one. Took me a while to figure it out. Oh, didn't realize that. Okay. Yeah, but anyway, I thought that was interesting too because I was like, maybe he would be uncomfortable. You know. Yeah with physical violence in his family. Anyway, uh, the more I think about it, the more I'm like, Megan Frampton really thought about everything in this book. Yeah, I think I just thought he was another half-sibling. I hadn't realized. Yeah, I, I think that's what I thought um, the first time, and then I re-skimmed it, and I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> so. And he does have a bride list that his literally provided him with. Like, lists all of the eligible debutantes at the right age range. Mm-hmm. That's great. And she, as a character, is very caught between two worlds. Yeah. So as Meg said, Cinderella Complex, she's raised in the attic as a servant. And now she's expected to make a delayed debut as a duke's daughter and beloved cousin. And, you know, she says a lot in this book. I don't want to be with someone who views what I endured as a point of shame. Yeah. Uh, and then there are, there are the tropey self-defense lessons that turn into something else. That said, she only goes over there twice, right? She only has two lessons, actually. And one of them is like, literally, he just wraps her hands and then they make out. Sorry if I'm my- it, guys. Yeah, there's a lot of making out, so whoops. Um, yeah, so that, it worked for me. Yeah. Uh, 
work for me too. Yeah, I think overall, I thought this book was really fun. I agree. I think if I had to come up, something about it didn't like resonate with me. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just that it felt a little rushed and shallow. Like I said, these books are fast. Yeah. The plot moves. And I think there are times I'm really in the mood for that. But I do think it meant there wasn't a whole lot of depth of character beyond the biography. And wasn't a whole lot of time for like organic growth on the page because it was busy moving from one thing to another. Yeah. And then there's also a lot of, uh, they already have an established relationship with each other. And so that, since that's already there, there's not a lot of the getting to know you stuff. Like I, this is actually a trope. He communicates in grunts, right? (laughs) Um, And Ana Maria is like, one of the few people who can interpret his grunts, right? She's fluent in grunt. Yeah, she's fluent in Nash grunting. Yeah. And it's not like she becomes fluent in it. She is fluent from the beginning of the book because they've been friends, you know? There is the fun moment where he sees her, like, as an adult woman for the first time. Mm -hmm. Because every time he'd seen her previously, she'd been a servant. Right. And the friend sister, and he liked her, they hung out. It wasn't like he dismissed her, but seeing her decked out as a potential duchess for the first time was like very difficult for him in a way I enjoyed. And I mean, can we talk about clothes? Because yes, it's such a huge, it's such a huge part of this book. And I really liked it. I think we've talked before about how, you know, with a good dress, you can accomplish anything. Yes. But uh, I think that, I think that what doesn't come across is that a lot of times clothing and the clothes that we choose, especially as women, are a source of, um, like, self-expression. Mm-hmm in a world that doesn't let you really express yourself any other way. I also, as women who like clothes, we say this every time something like this comes up, I enjoyed the empowerment through aesthetics. Not that beauty is everything, but that dress for the occasion. Make the environment work for the occasion. Yes. Well, and for Anna Maria, for most of her life, she hasn't been able to choose the clothes that she wants to wear. Mm-hmm. I mean, a huge thread, get it? A huge thread that runs through this Subtle. book. Subtle. Good one, right? Anyway, thread that runs through this book is um, her servant. So her maidservant is like one of her closest friends because they used to work so closely together. Um, and so her maidservant feels very free to make comments on her clothing choices. Uh, so Anna Maria will choose something to wear and her maidservant will be like, mm, are you sure you want to wear the orange dress? And Anna Maria is like, uh, no, I'm sure I want to wear the peach dress, which is what I told you. So get it out of the, get it out of the closet. Come on. <laughs> I, I, I really liked their interactions. It was very fun. Well, and I even liked that she kept a lot of her servant dresses and wore them when she was doing practical things. Mm-hmm. That, like, it wasn't some 
binary as a complete opposite of what she used to be forced to do as some sort of cleansing. It was a the right clothes for the right moment. Well, and it 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 plays into so again, the book is not like super in depth, but it, what it does and what Frampton does is in this book that has it has 18 chapters, so it's not super long. She gives each character sort of this defining characteristic, right? And mm-hmm. Anna Maria's is that she thinks that she herself is oxymoronic. Like she has these dueling feelings and these dueling motivations all the time. So on the one hand, she doesn't want to stand out. On the other hand, she doesn't want to be a wallflower and she wants to wear the clothes that she picks out. Well, and she doesn't want to be hidden away anymore. She wants right. the opposite of that. Right. And, you know, it's the same with Nash. Like, on the one hand, yes, she wants to dance with Nash. She wants to be with Nash. On the other hand, she doesn't want to make this choice that's going to, you know, put her into one box. Right. So, I, I, again, I, I did connect with this a little bit because I feel like we all have these, you know, ambiguous feelings. A lot of the time, right? <laughs> oh, absolutely. And we're all making compromises all of the time to appease different sides of ourselves. Yeah. So I, I liked it. I liked Anna Maria's character a lot. I did too. I sometimes find like the optimistic woman with a troubled past to veer way too hard into Manic Pixie Green Girl. Like the guy wants to celebrate her optimism without acknowledging the trauma. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this book did a very good job with Nash seeing her completely, with her reconciling her own past and being an actualized person without her being like a depressive stuff fest. Yeah, absolutely. That articulate, art depressive stuff fest? <laughs> you know, I understand what it means. <laughs> well. Oh, goodness. Um, One of the other things I really liked about the book were her brother and cousin. So her brother and cousin are, as most of our wonderful, loving, historical romance relatives are, very protective of her. And a lot of times this is seen as basically something that's an unqualified good. So something that women maybe get frustrated with, but also basically appreciate in the end because, you know, it's so good to have a brother or a cousin who cares so much about me, right? Right. And in this case, like, yeah, she certainly appreciates that she has a loving family, but they really meddle in her relationship with Nash in ways that are very infantilizing. Yes. And she calls it out. And she does get them to change their ways. (laughs) But I don't know. I I just really liked that instead instead of this being presented as, well, of course they're taking care of her. You know, if she gets compromised, they're going to force them to get married or whatever, right? Instead, she points out that this is really treating her like a person who can't make her own decisions. So. Which none of them want her to be. 
I, I enjoyed the dialogue about her independence in this a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I like. I also, it. I, I mean, I know this is a little bit early, but the ownership of her sexuality and his respect for her ownership of her sexuality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good job, Megan Frampton. Good job. And like Lane said, like Anna Maria really is independent. So she doesn't have to marry. She doesn't have to work. She could just sit at home and eat bonbons all day long. And she could run off to the country. She doesn't have to do London. Like no one, it is so friggin' rare in romance novels that there's a woman who is both truly respected as an arbiter of her own fate and has the means to facilitate that and does not have guilt about what she'd be leaving behind if she took advantage of it. Yeah. Like even the other truly independent characters you see are in charge of the family business or do anything for their little sister or there's always some like obligation keeping them a part of London society. And she really has jack shit that she has to do with the rest of her life. Yeah. And this might be the first like historical romance heroine I've ever read who has not just no expectations, but no obligations, emotional or otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I don't I don't know if I would want to read a book with this heroine for every character. No. But you're right. It's just the only one. I She's got that. no yeah. I mean, other than like clearly being an abused child, in the present, she has no baggage. Yeah. Anyway, it's good. There's no secret baby. There's no like scandalous past. There's nothing she's hiding. Yeah. Yeah. She's not like, oh no, if my translation of these racy poems comes out. There's there's nothing. And even the fact that like she was abused by her stepmother and forced to be a servant. It's not common knowledge, but it's not a dirty secret either. Right. Like she wouldn't suddenly become ineligible for marriage if they found out her stepmother abused her. Yeah. Like, she's a duchess's daughter, I mean, a duke's daughter and a duke's cousin. Like, she's got an impeccable reputation, impeccable looks, impeccable manners, a fortune all her own, and nothing she has to do. Yeah, it's great. It was it was fun to read once in a while. Yeah, no, absolutely. This book, like you said, you started out with this. It, it is very fun. Very fun. So fun. And... I also, like, talking about her sexuality and her ownership of it, he is not a rake. And a lot of times, guys who are sons of dick-ass dads are not rakes because they don't want to produce an army of bastards or because they don't want to use women the way their father did. Or, like, it's this whole rationalized thing. And it's not here. Nash just isn't a rake. Yeah. He's just like, I just never, you know, got good at it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and when she says, like, hey, he doesn't agonize over what if we make a bastard or what if I'm just like my father for agreeing to have sex with you or what if, like, all of that angst is not about her agency and, like, just his. Yeah. All right. Before we get into sexiness, because sexiness was a tip-top portion of this book. Yeah. We should probably talk about some content warnings. I mean, we've already basically been talking about them. Yeah. So, yes, they both had a, abusive childhoods. We talked about how 
Uh, I think the biggest one, the hardest one is that his, as Lane mentioned earlier, his mother actually abandoned him when he was like, what, around nine or 10? That's the impression I got. And she left because she was being abused by her husband. And she couldn't take her son with her because if she did, he would come after them both. And this was for me, just really, just really heartbreaking, you know, not just, not just as a mother, but you know, as a human being, like this is, it's really hard to read. And, and sadly, I just found it all too realistic. You know, well, and not only did his mother abandon him, but her his father's mother, the grandmother, who's now back to help him matchmate, helped his mom get out and then disappeared from his life, too. And like yeah. everyone in his life sort of made the decision that he was the heir first rather than a person. And so doing anything to save him would incur their father's wrath to a degree they weren't willing to risk. And Everyone who cared about him just watched his dad beat the shit out of him for years and left him to deal with it. Mm-hmm. And, like, they talk about him showing up at Anna Maria's house as a kid with bruises. Like, it's not lost over. Right. Anyway. For better or worse. And I, I'd say this. It's not a dark book. No. But I don't think there's any attempt to, like, make this more palatable either. No. And I, you know, I think, I think it's something that I appreciated about the book mm-hmm. for all that we just said, it's super fun. Cause it is, this book is super fun. Most of it is fun, but you know, our, it, it's like, Oh my God. So it's all like Anna Maria says, you know, like there's joy as well as tragedy in our lives. And, you know, we have to focus on the joy. She's a philosopher. <laughs> She's a philosopher. She's a philosopher. She inspired Megan when she read this book. But yeah, I, I think that's kind of the big content warning is just how abused the two of them were and the context surrounding that. Yeah. So there is, okay, we just said that um, she is sexually harassed by a suitor. Oh, right. I know. I know. But it should tell you something that Lane didn't even identify this as much of a content warning. He traps her in a room and tries to kiss her. And she's like, nah. And she like, yes, the discussion of power over women in the era is produced from that. But at no point are you like worried about her in that room. You're a little worried when it happens again on the street, but that nothing happens. Like it's all verbal. And then it is over. So I, I, I think in terms of the sexual harassment content, at no point do I feel like there was a moral about like a woman's virtue in there. Yeah. And I don't think it was an easy plot point. I think it was actually important for them to have conversations about the way he intervened to protect her. Yeah, no, that's, yes, it wasn't like gratuitous. That's the thing about this book too, it's so short everything in it is there for a reason yeah like uh, every criticism i possibly have is i wish i'd seen more here right not i wish this had been cut yeah okay sexiness yeah please 
This book is so fucking sexy. I was, I didn't know what I was expecting, but it was good. <laughs> and it's so, it, again, it's so consent driven. Because this is the whole thing with Anna Maria. Like, she hasn't had choice her whole life. And now she has all the choices in the world. So what is she going to pick? Okay, we also are so remiss for mentioning this now. She's been in love with him forever. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how. So he, she was the best friend's sister that he didn't see that way. But she's seen him that way since, like, the dawn of time. Yeah. And it's not, she is not thinking, if I can't have Nash, I'm not going to have anyone. No. But the second she realizes she can make her own choices, she's sort of like, I want to pick Nash, I want to pick Nash, I want to pick Nash. And she has no insecurities about, like, I would like you to kiss me now. Yeah. Like, she's like, okay, time for you to kiss me. Or, like, later, she's like, I want, (laughs) she literally is like, I want you to teach me how to fight and how to fuck. Like it was brilliant. Yeah. It was great. It was great. And Nash is like, oh shit, like she's amazing. <laughs> what do I do? <laughs> I loved everything about it. But of course, when she asks for it, he's like, Well, what can I do? Like, not give her what she wants? And I loved her angst over, like, I just assumed he was super experienced and this would inherently mean nothing to him. And that, like, saying it wouldn't mean anything to me either would be comforting to him. And when she realizes it's not, it was so adorable. Oh, my God. It was so good. He's So he's not a virgin hero. But he is, like, it meant something to me, you know? <laughs> right. It's, it's not... He's not inexperienced. He's just not casual. Yes, that that's that is the correct terminology. Well, and I think that's I think that's pretty rare. Like I think there's either men, even if they're not a virgin, where they very deliberately abstain from sex unless it's with a widow, unless it's with like you know there are rules or whatever. It's not that he's created some arbitrary rules for himself with his sexuality. He just hasn't had a ton of opportunity where he was interested. Yeah. Yeah. And I really like that. I think that's actually like very uncommon, especially in a male. Like I think we'd see it with some heroines, but to see it with a hero was like very refreshing. Yes. Well, and I feel like maybe it's more true to life as well, you know? Yeah. Like this is how people actually are. (laughs) They're not just like either fuckboys or virgins, you know? There, there is a, there is a spectrum, right. and a little bit more of the middle in a romance novel may be a good thing. You know, there is. I think that it is more like a bell curve, and we don't see that. It's, it's definitely like a <laughs> inverted bell curve for romance novels. <laughs> it's either she asked what his number is and said, "I don't like to think of women that way," but it doesn't matter because the only one I've ever loved is you, <laughs> or. Um, the numbers one and she's like oh, what yeah those are the only two fucking options it's true oh man they someone do be engage- like oh it's three it doesn't yeah. happen no no it doesn't he'd be like well you know there have been there have been a few women that i love <laughs> but broke up didn't go too far <laughs> oh all right, terrorist shenanigans. They have a lot of terrorist shenanigans. Not all of them are sexy. There is a lot of, like, talk. 
But even the talking is like preludes to sexy terrorist shenanigans. Their chemistry was sizzling all the time. Ab- oh, all the time. All the time. And just the moment the stage was always set so well without veering into being purple. Like, I love the description of her clothes. So you knew just what he was looking at. Like, I, it all just worked together so well. Yeah, it was, it was great. I really liked it. And it's, it's just a very sexy book. I like this a lot more than the first one in the series. Um, and I, I think it's a sexy book. I think it's a quick read. I think, you know, don't, this is not going to be the most historical driven historical you ever read. This is not like an intensive character study, but if what you want is just like a fluffy good time with some sexiness, highly recommend. A fluffy, a, this our blurb, a fluffy good time with some sexiness. Quote me again. Thank you so much for listening. If you're enjoying the podcast, we'd love it if you would rate, review, subscribe. And you can also check us out on WordPress and on Instagram and on Goodreads at Podcast.